I want Kasha to change the way that women in emerging markets get the health products they need. And I want to make sure that no woman ever has a difficult time in getting the health and self-care products. She needs to live her best life. You can go fast if you go alone, or you go slow and you go together, but you'll go further. Innovation is when you take something that works in one segment and you apply it to a different one. Welcome to the Beyond Capital podcast. In our purpose-driven world, leadership is increasingly crucial. Now, more than ever, stakeholders are demanding the integration of social values and causes in everything from shoes to soap to investments. We are bringing you the stories of leaders that are marrying profit with purpose. I'm Eva Yazari, CEO of Beyond Capital. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Appreciate. And this is the Beyond Capital Podcast. Today's guest is Joanna Bixel. Joanna is the founder and CEO of Kasha, an e-commerce and consumer insights platform providing women in East Africa with health and personal care products in an accessible and discreet way. Joanna previously worked for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and Microsoft. Welcome, Joanna. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. I am excited for you to talk more about your story and your company. And I am lucky to be an investor through Beyond Capital in Kasha. And we've gotten to know each other over the past couple of years. And I, I just I can't wait because I, I always am in awe of you and everything that you're doing. That's very kind of you. I mean, it's really exciting to do this. You've been with us since the early days when we were small and just in one country and we're growing. And so I appreciate you taking the time. When did you start this company? So it was in 2016. It was almost four years ago. <laughs> because, you know, so much happens in that time. It feels so much longer, but then at the same time, it just sped fast. Or where are you dialing in from today? I'm in Nairobi, Kenya. I've always been really fascinated by your background, Joanna. As Ed mentioned, you work in tech and you work at the Melinda Gates Foundation. And I know that your career in technology was a, a foundation for starting Kasha. Can you tell us a little bit more just about your background and how it informed your decision to start the business? Just as background, so um, I grew up in Canada and I have a computer science degree. And when I graduated is when um, I was hired by Microsoft and to work out in Redmond in their headquarters. And, you know, that was a great experience for me and definitely set the foundation for my career. And I started out as a software engineer. I built products within Microsoft Office like Excel and others. And it was a great experience. And I think that I loved the corporate world and the, the fast tech, fast pace there. And it's one of those places where you can do many different things. And so I was uh, within engineering, I was within business, I was within marketing, I managed people around the world. And it was just, it, it set a really strong foundation for me. And it also enabled me to see well-performing company looks like, and also how to be a good manager and how to treat employees well and how to motivate them. And I had my first child and that basically gave me some time to reflect. You know, I had been at Microsoft for about 11 years by that point and uh, I had really started to get interested in technology and emerging markets, doing some things for volunteer and pro bono. And I really wanted to make that my full-time job and just dive into that deeper. Uh, so 
after my son was born was when I decided to move to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So I had been advising them pro bono before actually working there. And this role opened up and uh, to basically lead technology strategy for global development at Gates Foundation. And I moved over there and that was really where I got to dive in deeper. And so I was working across East and West Africa, uh, a little bit of South Asia as well, in India, Bangladesh, across areas of really where technology can optimize you know, access to vaccines and malaria medication, other types of essential medicines, how to enable access to financial services for very low-income individuals and enable financial inclusion, how to use technology to really improve the data within agriculture and, and health worker and health services delivery. And so it was a great role. And um, I was there for three years. And you can see a lot of how Kasha came together based on my personal experience. And then when, when my daughter was born, is when I again kind of stepped back and said, what's next? Is this the thing that I should continue doing? Um, and while it was a great place, the idea for Kasha really came together. In fact, Kasha is my daughter's name. <laughs> so it was named after my daughter. And, and so I left Gates to start Kasha. And that was, that was the journey up to there. That's incredible. I, I, I love that story. And your model is very interesting because it's true e-commerce, but reaches into more rural areas and the majority of your customers are at low income in Rwanda and Kenya. Can you unpack the model for us and how also specifically technology plays an important role? So Kasha is e-commerce, but it's not your typical e-commerce. So usually think of websites, credit cards, but Kasha was built to be very accessible to anyone with a basic mobile phone. So those little Nokia phones, you know, no internet access, no smartphone, so that anyone can be able to order the health and self-care products they need and get them delivered. It uses technology that's available very often in emerging markets, not as available in developed markets. So USSD channel directly off the telco. And with that, anyone with a basic mobile phone can browse through categories, pick their product, pay with mobile money, and then we deliver to the last mile. And Kasha was really built to ensure that all women have access to the health products they need to live their best lives. And so we do serve across customer segments. We have, you know, middle income or high income women in urban areas, but the majority of our customers are low income and rural women within Rwanda and Kenya. So that's really the premise of, of Kasha is just an accessible e-commerce platform so women can, can get the products they need on their terms. What's the size of the catalog that you can accommodate in that type of interface? Like how many SKUs can you effectively have somebody shop with a, a menu-driven kind of Nokia candy bar phone? Yes. So the screen is very small. <laughs> and so we don't put all of our SKUs onto the USSD menu, but we do have a way where anything that's on our website, you can do a short code direct to a product. So uh, we have enabled direct order of any product. But if you want to navigate through, we put the most popular products for uh, more of the lower income segment to come up first. Uh, but basically, you know, there has to be five categories maximum, three to five, with three to five under each submenu. And there's also um, a certain time. So you can't if you go to the next page, go to the next page too much, then it times out. So definitely before starting the company, I was always really amazed with USSD because, you know, it's something that's used at scale for billions of people to get airtime, 
to to do various things, um, especially around the concept of airtime. And it's hugely accessible. And yet the only thing we ever really use it for is mostly airtime. And so that was the key thing our team did was just turn that into e-commerce. And so anyone can, can access e-commerce. So it's just kind of those very powerful technologies, which are also very simple, but very accessible and something that you actually can't turn on in America or Canada because it's not um, exposed. So it's an example of uh, just an innovative technology that is available in the developing world. I love this software entrepreneur to software entrepreneur. It's incredible <laughs> to be party to that conversation. So Joanna, I want to take a step back and I would love to hear from you on why women's health is so important and accessibility to women's health products is so important in Rwanda and Kenya and East Africa at large. The truth is, is, you know, you often hear that women are very influential in economies and societies, and we should optimize for women, especially once you start to get more interested in global development, women are a key focus. And yet, when you actually look at how we build solutions, women are massively underserved. When it comes to women getting the health products they need, the self-care products, the, the basic things like menstrual care, women are massively underserved. And the more the more traditional the society as well, the more lower income, the harder it is for women. And that's, in my mind, absolutely insane. Women cannot get these basic products. And I do think there has to be, there is an aspect of, you know, a lot of technology solutions are built by men based on, you know, historical with more women entering tech. And it does make a difference in who's building the tech. And so I do think women look at tech solutions a bit differently. And to me, this is this is an obvious problem. And a lot of this stemmed as well from just my experiences when I was at Gates Foundation. I worked for, for, about, for most of the time I worked on how do we use technology to enable last mile delivery of vaccines and, and to optimize supply chains of health. And very often we would be in very rural areas in Ethiopia or Kenya or other countries, and we would be visiting clinics and we would say, okay, which products are you out of stock? And uh, often we'd hear, well, we're out of stock of malaria products, this and this. And then when we would ask about family planning, often we would hear, no, we're not out of stock of that. We don't get too much demand. Women who come with their babies are, are usually the ones that ask for this. Young people never ask for this. And in reality, I mean, there's a high teenage pregnancy rate very often. Many women actually say they want access to these products, yet feel they cannot go in person to get these products. And so there's a lot of scenarios where we need to think about that are different for women. If we try to optimize the supply chain so that the clinics don't get out of stock, we actually do not solve the problem. Women still don't get these products in their hands because there's so much social stigma. Women all over the world, but especially in emerging markets, in rural areas and low-income areas, still very much have a hard time getting the products they need. And there's still a lot of social stigma in place around the world. Women, often when they go and try to get products like contraceptives or and other products as well, they often get turned away, they get sent home, they get humiliated within their community. And given that these products have the ability to lift families out of poverty, change a woman's life, change the complete trajectory of generations. I mean, this, this is just unacceptable. And um, so Casha was really built to be able to enable, especially women, to confidentially order products and be able to get them discreetly delivered, no matter where they live. So how do you get over the stigma once people in the family figure out who's delivering the product? 
don't they connect the dots and understand that it's probably product with social stigma because it's coming from the or is it done in some way that that's not apparent to people? We specifically built Kasha so that it does not become a stigmatized company. So Kasha is really around health and self-care. And while at the core, the company started because we want to enable access to contraceptives and menstrual care and also HIV tests and other products, we sell a variety of products for your body, your health. We sell lotions and creams, um, hair products, beauty and, and makeup products. And so if you were to go to our website, for example, which is visible internationally, you'll see this wide array of products. And our brand is really around health and self-care. But especially if you see what people are buying, it's those really stigmatized products that are just flying off the shelves. And so that obviously proves that those products are extra hard to access. We always knew that if we really just focused on a certain subset of that, that we would become a stigmatized company and we would do our customers a disservice. Right. So you have a a wide range of products and I'm sure you're very data-driven. My notes say that, but you're a software engineer. You must be data-driven. I'm curious if your data and consumer research ever showed that a customer wanted a product, but because you're a purpose-driven company, you didn't really want to sell it to them. You know, this is part of the exploration of what customers want, especially as we expand into more than one country, you know, really trying to get a sense of what what customers are asking for. When we first started out, we did not have makeup on the platform. We did not have deodorant. We did not have the wide variety that we have now. And it was really through that demand. And it was interesting when there's always been a strong demand for makeup. And there was a concern at some point saying, one, I mean, I mean, makeup is, is quite difficult to sell, especially matching skin tones and things like that. And you have to really go deep into it to sell that well. And we started putting that on the platform. And one of the things that we realized, we thought, you know, maybe people just buy makeup and then we find that that's actually where the demand is. And what we found is whenever we posted about makeup or showed, you know, a, a shiny, glamorous photo, we had much more uh, of an interest and demand from customers and they, and they clicked on those images and they, but when they arrived at the site, what they ended up buying was actually more of those essentials and it was more of those products. So it was a really interesting thing to, to see what people want and what people demand is not necessarily what they buy, but in the end, we exist to serve our customers. And if they prefer this brand or this product, then we get that for them. We've had a lot of questions in the past. Why do you sell international brands? For example, we sell Procter & Gamble, we sell Unilever, and that's because that's what our customers want. We do sell local brands as well, but if the customer prefers this internationally well-known brand, then that's her decision. And so we obviously focus on a niche. You can go, there's still a lot within health and self-care, but it, it has to be focused on the demand that we're seeing. That makes sense. In talking about the social stigma, I think there's also the outcome of that, which is that in Rwanda, for example, almost 18% of girls and women missed out on school and work last year because they could not afford to buy menstrual pads. And these absences also amount to a loss in GDP, so there's an economic argument. Have you found that your investors and other stakeholders in the company have seen the value in the social impact that you've been able to create? Yeah, I think we're, we're very lucky 
to have investors that are very aligned with our mission as a company. I think the great thing about Kasha is as our business grows, our impact grows. The more of these products we provide access to, the more we sell, the more impact we have and the stronger our business is. So it's very directly tied. And I do like to also partner with investors that have a good balance of commercial as well as impact. And there's a wide spectrum, but for us, we are focused on becoming a profitable company that can scale around the world. And the reason we want to do that is because we want to ensure that no woman ever has trouble getting access to the products she needs. And that's why it's important for us to scale. And we want to be able to scale with the customer being in charge rather than any donor or any other investor. And that's why it's really important for us to be a profitable company as we as we continue to grow. And I, I think it's, you know, you can see a direct correlation. I remember when we started looking at, you know, menstrual care has always been a, a focus for Kasha and just this insane situation where still there's so many girls around the world, millions and, and potentially billions that do not have regular access to quality menstrual care. And you can imagine if a girl cannot attend the school for three or five days every single month. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's 20% of her, of the school days lost. And then eventually she falls behind and she drops out. And that is happening still to this day. And so Kasha really tried to understand how can we serve young girls, especially in getting access to these products. And what we found was in Rwanda, where we started, girls don't, generally don't have any money. Girls don't have access to a phone. How can we make this a profitable model? So, you know, we tried to uh, reach the parents. The parents were always all over the country around these schools. It was very difficult in that sense. And so what we instead decide to do is work with the schools and the schools actually purchase from Kasha in bulk. Every quarter they buy, you know, a school can buy thousands of pads from Kasha that are quality, affordable products. And they give that to their students and girls have access to these products. And so you can still solve a solution where the end customer or the end consumer is not the customer. But, you know, just that determination to figure out how can we build a model that ensures that girls have access to these products in a sustainable and profitable way so we can scale it. Yeah, and I think it's sometimes hard for Western audiences or, you know, people in in different geographies such as the U.S. or Europe to understand what scaling means in a region like East Africa. Can you shed some light on that for us? Scaling means different things to different people. For us, it's really around customer acquisition and how many customers we're serving, also expansion into new markets. So we have close to 70,000 unique customers now. They are buying you know, monthly types of products and we are now operating into two countries. And so when we say we're interested in scaling further, we actually do have plans to be able to operate into two additional countries on the continent and to one day operate in many countries in Africa, in South Asia and Southeast Asia, and maybe Latin America. So that's what I think of when I think of scale. So at a global level, but it can mean different things to different people. It seems to me like the the attitudes of the that create the social stigma in your mind must be pretty impenetrable. Is that true, or do you see those changing and your business changing as the social stigma actually gets lower over time? It's interesting because there are polarized opinions of this. 
even in East Africa where we operate. And so one example is, you know, Rwanda has publicly committed to very ambitious goals around contraceptive access. And they've always been a champion for women's empowerment, uh, family planning access. Yet at the same time, there are many groups, many religious groups within Rwanda that are absolutely opposed to that. And so that's a dynamic that we do see where actually the government is oftentimes moving some of these social issues forward. But then obviously a country has to move together. And so just being able to make little baby steps in a certain direction. So for example, you know, Kasha was asked to help lead a policy change in Rwanda, enabling, uh, because up until then, girls, Girls who are under 18 could only get contraceptives if they brought their parents, girls and boys. And Kasha basically helped lower the age of that up until 16. So, you know, that's one step. It could be further to open it up. So if you are caught in a situation where you do need those products, that you're able to get them confidentially and to ensure you're protecting yourself when you're still in your early years of life. I think partnership and collaboration with government is very important. And I do, I see many within government, within private sector and public sector and just in various groups that want to innovate, that want to push things forward, that want to make it easier. Perhaps one reason why within the social issue space, you don't move as fast as perhaps in like a Silicon Valley kind of, because there's so many issues at play. You can go fast if you go alone or you go slow and you go together, but you'll go further. Yeah, I think it's one of the biggest and most interesting issues in, in all kinds of social impact and social services, which is the infrastructure that's created to resolve the problem has to, in a way, evolve so that the problem, original problem can, can be minimized and that it doesn't perpetuate the original problem. I would agree. What else is really interesting about your model is that you hire local sales agents and you hire local women from the communities that the company is selling in. Why did you adopt this strategy? Yeah, so for us, the way we deliver to low-income and rural areas is we have Kasha agents. So these are women that within their community, they are the face of Kasha. So they deliver their customer orders to the last mile, so direct to the customer's home. They market Kasha. They help customers if they need help ordering over the USSD. And that model really stemmed from a model that is operating around the world in every developing country that I know of. And that is community health volunteers, community health workers, agricultural extension workers. And so we adapted that model for Kasha agents. The, the difference is usually that model is unpaid. So a community health volunteer for the government is you know, providing health services around her community at no charge. It's a volunteer job, which is very difficult to do. But for us, we have a performance-based incentive model. And so the more that the Kasha agent delivers, the more customers she tells about Kasha, the more customer recurring customers she brings back, the more money she makes. And as the company grows, her salary grows as well. And we have agents that have been with us since the very beginning and they're building houses and they're able to send their kids to school and pay for health insurance. And they continue to increase in their salaries and the company continues to grow. And I think this is an example of, I've heard once before that innovation is when you take something that works in one area or segment and you apply it to a different one. And, you know, I'm not uh, a development expert. I never worked at the UN or anything. But when I went to Gates Foundation, I looked at things from a technologist lens and also from just a, a different perspective. And so I think that's where the solution for Kasha came together using USSD for e-commerce, using kind of community health volunteers as Kasha agents, data 
data-driven supply chains that are consumer-driven. So it's nothing that we built is not already operating at scale in many countries around the world. We just kind of repurpose the solution, repackage various components into something that really solves a need of where there's a gap. So we want to turn to you, Joanna, and what fuels you as a leader in your life Um, especially thinking about your morning routine. We love to hear about what gets purpose-driven leaders up in the morning and ready to go for the day. Do you have any sort of habits or things that you do habitually every morning? It's funny you ask this question because I love my mornings. I love it. I mean, you know, I have two kids and busy job. I mean, it's the only time no one is awake in the house and I have the whole place to myself. The morning is something is I look forward to every day. And I do wake up between 5 and 5.30 and it's my time for reflection. It's my time to do my quiet time to write my journal. I've learned over the years that I really, I have to trust my gut. I need to listen to my intuition. So I need to create space for that to even surface before you dive into the emails and the meetings and everything. So, you know, especially as a startup, while the company changes every three months, you know, it's at a different level. Also, you have to adapt as a CEO and you have to do things you've never done before. And, (laughs) And so it's just a constant evaluation as to how to improve and what's needed now that wasn't needed before and how to adjust. So the morning time I think is, is, is critically important for me. But now for the important question, coffee, tea, or caffeine free? Extremely strong coffee. I drank way too much espresso. It's not, (laughs) I'm not dropping that one. I'm going to keep that one. It's been a unique time. I know that you've been some form of lockdown in Nairobi and your company in the healthcare space seems to be essential. What has the pandemic COVID-19 period been like for you and how has Kasha been able to play a role? At Kasha, we feel very strongly that we have a role to play in helping people protect themselves from COVID. You know, when COVID first hit, we I saw a spike uh, around many products, around soaps, around hand sanitizer, and now masks. And those are the types of products that we provide. You know, initially we had some stockouts, just nat- nationwide stockouts in the region. But since then, we've had local manufacturers. So we are still able to operate around the country. In both countries, we've been identified as an essential service because we we do deliver medicines and other and COVID protection products as well. So for us, it hasn't impacted our business too much. I think Rwanda and Kenya were hit uh, or had their first case around the same time and they had quite different reactions. Rwanda went into lockdown pretty soon after. So there was constant adjustments in uh, just the way we operate, how we can deliver, getting the right paperwork to be able to show the authorities. The team was just, is was really amazing in terms of continuing to overcome the challenges, but we actually continue to grow and we're able to still provide the products that people need. In Kenya, there hasn't been a lockdown. It's been more flexible, and uh, but we are all working virtually. I think working virtually is a very new phenomenon in East Africa, although as a tech company, I mean, our engineering team has been they're very used to working from home. Uh, others were adjusting, but it's actually, you know, it's it's been quite fun. And we try to, we realize that it's also can be stressful for people and for the team. And so we've implemented virtual fun activities. We've started a committee, Kasha Cares, where as employees, we can also just impact our communities by helping them out, by donating products. Yeah, we're, we're, we're moving through it. 
And just to wrap, we'd love to know what your vision is for the future of the company, where you see Kasha in five or even 10 years. I want Kasha to change the way that women in emerging markets get the health products they need. And I want to make sure that no woman ever has a difficult time in getting the health and self-care products. She needs to live her best life. And we want to be a a key vehicle towards that. And so I do see Kasha one day serving millions of women around the world, ensuring they have access to products, to information, to health services. You know, we're really focused on continuing to grow and to expand and to listen to our customers and see where else can we be of service. We do have plans to expand into two additional countries in Africa and in the near future. And then we also want to expand into Asia and Latin America as well at some point. I'm not sure how much you know about the global health. Global health in the developing countries is extremely top down. There's absolutely no data that can show this is what people want. These are the products people want. This is at what time of the year they want it, you know, how this differs from country to country at, at, at different age groups. And so this is really where Kasha has the opportunity to change the world is we actually, as a data-driven platform, every time someone purchases a product, it's a vote for the product they want. And we will be able to show that people living in these areas, these are the products they're choosing. These are the ones that they're willing to spend their money on because they need. And through that data-driven approach, we can actually completely turn global health supply chains upside down and make them consumer driven. And that's the big picture of Kasha. And that's what's possible with just like a, you know, an e-commerce platform that is selling products in East Africa. And that's, that's our vision. Fascinating and extremely inspiring. Thank you so much, Joanna, for talking with us today. I am in complete awe of you and, and your company. And I'm excited that our audience gets to hear more about it. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was great having you today. A lot of energy, really, really good conversation. And we wish you so much success and, and good fortune in, in bringing all that good to girls and women who need it so much. Thank you. Once again, it's clear that a business leader with good intentions can create an impressive social, environmental, and ethical impact. There is always a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company, and we can all make a difference. You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at EA Stevens. And follow me on Instagram at Conscious Investor. Until next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.